God placed a God-shaped hole in our hearts to have a longing for heaven, to want to go there. He designed us and he created us for heaven. And there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven, aren't they? When you watch that special, you'll see loaded misconceptions from heaven. And a lot of them come from other religions. And they portray heaven really in intangibilities. They say, well, it'll be eternal bliss. It'll be eternal happiness. And, and it's not very concrete. It doesn't paint a very vivid picture of heaven. And some other misconceptions we get are from the media. We, as Americans, get a lot of our information from the media and a lot of our visual impact and imagery of heaven from the media. This comes from movies, TV shows, and you see the commercials when they're trying to sell the tissue paper that's soft and fluffy, just like the clouds in heaven. And so you see a couple people in white, right, with, with wings, and they're floating around on the clouds of heaven, and this tissue paper is heavenly. So buy, you better buy it. So that's a lot of our imagery comes from, too, is from the media. And a lot of our misconceptions of heaven come from the media. And also a misconception is that heaven is only spiritual. Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago. And this really is rooted back centuries back to Greek philosophy, to Plato, and that philosophy of dualism, that everything that is material, everything on this world that's material is bad, and that everything is spiritual is good, and so that... Heaven, since it is such a wonderful, great place, then it has to be all spiritual. It has to be completely devoid of material. And this came into the church. And people have used Bible verses like, well, God is heaven, and if God is spirit, then heaven is going to be totally a spiritual place. But that's a misinterpretation of what heaven is, because God is not equated with heaven. God did create heaven. He created the heavens and the earth, and he's going to create the new heaven and the new earth, but he is not heaven. And so it's a misconception, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today are some of these misconceptions that we have about heaven. And I'm going to focus more about the present heaven today as we look into heaven. But today is just one of three parts we're going to be looking on in heaven, and we're going to press pause on 1 Corinthians 15 because I believe we need to fall back and we need to look at what the present heaven is going to be like. And so over the past four weeks, Chris has been tracking us through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection and how us as Christians, as followers of Christ, we all of our faith hinges upon this important fact of the resurrection, right? That if it wasn't for the resurrection, our lives would be a waste of time. It would be futility. We'd be living a life of servitude and love towards others, and it would just be a mockery to the world if it wasn't for the resurrection. But we know that the resurrection is true, amen? And it really happened 2,000 years ago that Jesus died, and he rose from the dead. He was resurrected, and he got a resurrected body, and he is now in the present heaven in a resurrected body. And now we all wait for the day when we will be resurrected, when Jesus will come back the second time and the dead will rise and get their resurrected bodies. And we, if we're on the earth at that time, will be reunited with a resurrected body. I want to press pause on 1 Corinthians 15, and next week we'll get to talking about resurrected bodies. 
But I wanted to look at what happens before that time when we get these resurrected bodies. Where do people go when they die? Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. So he's talking about going into the present heaven. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, I prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. So that's what he's talking about is this intermediate state, if you will, of going on to heaven. And so let's put the graph up on the screen here. And there's really various stages of heaven that we need to kind of understand before we get to the final stage when we talk about the resurrected body. There's basically four stages of heaven. And the first stage is of the Old Testament view of heaven. And that is before Christ has been resurrected. And we're going to look in that today in Luke chapter 16. And the Old Testament version of heaven is where the saints that have put their faith in God alone and they lived by faith, it's where they went. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus will talk about that, and it called, it's called Abraham's bosom. And it's a place of comfort where they recline at the table with Abraham. And then after Jesus died and was resurrected, he ascended up into the present heaven. And we know from Luke chapter 23 that he calls that the present heaven. And there's some handouts in the back that have these slides on them as well. And that's the present heaven that we would go to today. So if you know someone who is a believer in Christ and has put their faith in Christ and has died, they go to this present heaven. The next culminating event will be the second coming of Christ. And we'll talk about this more uh, next week. Is in the second coming of Christ, then it will be the second resurrection, if we will, that all believers will be united. Their spirits will be united with their resurrected bodies. And we'll go to the next period or stage of heaven, which will be the millennial kingdom, which is a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth with fellow believers and saints. And then the final stage of heaven will be that of the new heaven and the new earth. And that's after the battle of Armageddon when Jesus Christ will cast Satan and all his demons down into the lake of fire. And God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So you may ask yourself, if you were here on Easter... I spoke about heaven on Easter. And you may go, man, what's the deal with this guy? He's just keep on talking about heaven all the time. Why is heaven so important to him? Why is he so intrigued by heaven? Well, many of you I know here have lost loved ones. And you wonder where they are at. You wonder what state they're in right now. And there's some of you here who are like Sue and I, that you've lost a child. And so, for 10 years, since August 12, 1997, after the death of our child, Summer McKenzie, I have been intrigued by heaven. And like any good parent, you want to know where your child is, right? My daughter, Maddie, has been at a swim camp this weekend, and we want to know where she is. We want to know how she's doing. Is she having fun? Is she doing all right? Is she getting three square meals a day? Is she learning stuff? Is she getting along with other people? As a parent, we want to know where our child is. And so for us, Sue and I, it's been a, it's been a 10-year pursuit of what is heaven like. And so today, I want to go into that. And I want to kind of defray some misconceptions we have about the present heaven. That kind of things get garbled up between what the future heaven will be like and what the present heaven will be like. And so I want to go to God's word with you guys today and probably diffuse some of these misconceptions that we have about 
the present heaven. Now, as Christians, heaven is our home, right? Heaven is our eternal destination. And so, for those of you, when you go to buy a house, you don't just go, well, let's just take that house. You don't even look at it. You don't even think about it, right? When you go to buy a house, you want to know everything about that home. You want to know how many rooms it has. You want to know where the bathrooms are. You want to know how many square foot is it going to fit everyone. Where's the kitchen? Where's the dining room, the living room? Where are we going to put this now? You want to know everything about your home. Yet for heaven, sometimes we just go, well, it's beyond our imagination. We can't even describe or think about what it is. And that is a misconception because the Bible talks a lot about heaven. In fact, the word heaven is used over 600 times in the Bible. In the majority of Christ's ministry on earth, he was talking about heaven and he was talking about hell. And you may ask yourself, why? Why was he talking about heaven and hell so much? Well, it's pretty easy, right? Because we are so earthly minded. We are captivated by this earth. And I was talking to my neighbor just yesterday. He said, oh, how's it going? And I said, oh, pretty good. And he said, well, what what are you up to? And I said, well, I'm actually preparing a message on heaven. And he was like, wow. You know what? I, I don't barely ever think about heaven. And isn't that true? I mean, just think about when's the last time you really thought about heaven? When's the last time you really dreamt about heaven? We don't. We don't really think about it that much. But God's word paints some vivid pictures about what heaven is like. And so today I want to talk about just three aspects of the present heaven. And kind of to dispel some of these misconceptions that we have. And the first aspect is that heaven is not just a spiritual place. The present heaven will actually be a physical place where there's physical attributes and we'll have a physical body. And we'll go into scripture that points that direction. The next thing it's very close and parallels that is, is there's going to be some continuity between our life here on earth and that life in heaven. There'll be some continuity between life on earth and as we ascend into the present heaven. And we'll look at some verses on that. And then lastly and most importantly will be that we will be with God in the present heaven. And we'll end on that encouraging note. So if you will, pray with me as we go into this time. Father God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, that we don't go to popular opinion about what heaven is. We don't go to other people's views of heaven. We don't go to what the world says, the media says, or anything else says about the present heaven. But we go to your word, which we know is true. And Lord, we don't have a lot of time to dig into the depths and many facets that you paint in your word towards heaven, but we'll just look into a couple verses today that will dispel some of our misconceptions we have about where we go right after we die. And Lord, you are preparing a wonderful place for us called heaven. We don't think about it that much. We don't imagine it that much. We don't try to put ourselves there. We don't go to your word and try to understand it. And so, Lord, I just pray you'd help us understand the present heaven over the next minutes or so of this message, that you'd help us from your word understand that. And over the next three weeks, you'd help paint a picture for us that we would have a longing for heaven, that we would be encouraged by heaven, that we'd be comforted by heaven, and that we would be motivated by heaven. 
we'd be motivated to share the good news that you died and you rose again and the resurrection is a real event that changed the face of mankind and that changed the face of eternity for our life is but a vapor here on this earth and that we need to cast our vision towards heaven and we need to set our mind on things above. And so much I know for me, I guess, entangled with the world and the things of this world and not setting my mind on things above. So, Lord, give us this time to set our mind on things above, to cast our vision towards heaven where you dwell and where you long for us to be with you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, the first thing I want to talk about is that heaven is a physical place. And there are many passages in Scripture, I really struggled really this week, of how much Scripture to put into this message, but I didn't want to overdo it. So I'm really going to focus today on just two passages. One is going to be in Luke chapter 16, and the other was going to be spots in Revelation. And in Luke chapter 16, there is a parable or a story that is definitely one of Sue and my favorite. After Summer passed away, our pastor Tom Harkis pointed us towards this parable. And it is probably the most detailed description of the present heaven there is, apart from Revelation. It is a great picture, and you can draw a lot of things from this passage. Now, the overall point of this passage is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he is really driving home a point to the Pharisees that they love money more than they love God. And there is going to be eternal consequences for that. And so he goes into this story about a rich man who is probably very close to one of them, one of the Pharisees, and to a poor man named Lazarus. And this poor man, Lazarus, is begging at the gate. And so this is Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. I'm not going to go through every verse by verse, but just give you, paint you the picture of what this story says. So Lazarus is at the gate of this rich man, and he is begging for food, and he is in a bad state. He's got sores all over his body, and the dogs are coming up and licking his sores, and he is in a bad state. What happens, though, is that the rich man knows about Lazarus, and he doesn't feed him. He doesn't help him out at all. And Jesus tells a story that both of these men die, and, and Lazarus is taken up by angels into Abraham's bosom, which is analogous to the present heaven. And that the rich man goes into Hades, or what we call hell, where he's in torment and flames. And the beggar Lazarus is being comforted. And so now there's been an absolute switch, right, in comfort levels. Lazarus goes from being in torment in the world and his sores licked by dogs to now being comforted in the present heaven. The rich man goes from all the comforts of the world, these wonderful linens, living in a palace, to now being in the torture and torment of hell. And I want to just key real quickly on some verses here that point us to the physical attributes of this verse that happen in the present heaven and even in the present hell. And the key verse is verse 24. So look at verse 24. And it says, he cried out, which is the rich man. The the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. 
And so sometimes when you read it, you think, well, those are just figurative things. But why aren't they literal things? You know, why do we always see him as figurative things? He could literally have a finger, and the rich man literally has a tongue. Why, why do we make these things figurative? I don't know why. But I would say, I'd submit to you that he literally had a body, that Lazarus literally had a body, and the rich man literally had a body. And otherwise, why would they, Jesus use such specific language to talk about that? And then also another attribute that's a physical attribute is that there's water in heaven and there is not, or there are flames in hell. Those are physical things that are on this earth that happen to be in the present heaven and the present hell. And then the last thing is of physical attributes in this parable is you'll see that throughout this parable they're conversing with one another. Now, hell, Hades, and heaven are separated by a chasm, but they are conversing with one another. The rich man is talking from hell up to heaven to Abraham. So if they're talking to one another, what do they have to have? Vocal cords, right? They have to have vocal cords to talk to one another. And so there's another thing that's pointing towards probably a physical body in the present heaven and the present hell. Now to go further with this, we have to look into Revelation real quickly before I go to the next point. We have to look to Revelation. And a lot of people say, "Uh uh-oh, he's going to Revelation. Can't use Revelation, right? Because a lot of people say, well, that's a prophetic book. And it uses so much symbolism and so many figurative language. You just can't even understand it. And there's volumes and volumes written on Revelation about how to understand it. And these commentators, these biblical scholars, they go off on big-time tangents about Revelation, about what certain things mean. But you know what? I love what J. Vernon McGee says about the book of Revelation. He says, it is not a difficult book. All these scholars make it out to be this horribly difficult book. He says, it is not that difficult. In fact, it is probably the most orderly book of all of Scripture. It goes in chronological order from one time to the next. It goes and takes a picture, if you will, and John gets to go up into the present heaven, and he gets to see a snapshot or a movie, if you will, of what the last seven years of the world will look like up into the second coming of Christ. He gets to see all the events that happen up in heaven. And I'm not saying that Revelation is a piece of cake, but I'm saying that we probably do make it far harder to read than many people think it is. And there is a lot of figurative language and symbolism in Revelation. But some of it's pretty darn straightforward. When it says the Lamb, it's obviously Christ. When it says the Bride, it's the Church. So a lot of it is pretty darn straightforward. Looking at Revelation, there are a lot of things from chapter 4 through about chapter 20, 19, 20, until it gets to the end, the new heaven and the new earth, that have physical attributes to the present heaven because that's what John is getting to see. He's getting to look at the events in the present heaven. And so up on the slide and in your handouts, I have seven different verses that relate to physical attributes in heaven from Revelation. It says things like the martyrs will wear robes. How can they do that unless they have a body? The elders have faces. That people are holding palm branches and waving these palm branches and they're speaking, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then there's musical instrument. People are playing musical instruments. There are eagles flying overhead. The temple has smoke in it. There's 
people riding horses and drawn in chariots in heaven. Now this could all be figurative, right? But it also could all be literal. And so it all points to possibilities that, that heaven, the present heaven, there are physical attributes there. So I just submit that for your study to think about those things because that blew me away in a lot of ways. I thought heaven, the present heaven especially, would just be a spiritual place. In fact, people had told me after Summer died that, you know what, that when she, she dies, she's actually going to go, we're going to go to sleep for a while. And they use 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to say, when you die, you actually go to sleep and you wait for your resurrected body. Well, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that there will be no stopping from the time you die to the time you go to heaven. Your time, your continuum will go and march right along. So that's the second point is, is there's a direct continuity, if you will, between our life on earth and that in the present heaven. We can see from Scripture that it'll march right along. There will probably be no time at all stopped between when our body stops, when we stop breathing, and when we go straight to heaven. And we can see that in Luke, back again in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, they go right away, right? Right after they die, even it says that that Lazarus is just taken up. It doesn't even say that he dies. He's taken up by angels right away. And that the rich man right away is in Hades. So there's no break in time there at all. Also, in Revelation, it was mind-boggling to me. And if you will, look in Revelation chapter 8 real quickly. In Revelation chapter 8, I always thought that there was no time when you got to heaven. I thought that there was no space and time when you got to heaven and that heaven was on a different plane, dimension, if you will. And it probably is a different dimension. But Revelation especially points to that the time continuum will continue on from our life on earth. And it will track the time in the present heaven will track the same as that on earth. And look at Revelation chapter 8 verse 1. It says, when the Lamb, or Christ, breaks the seventh seal, there will be silence in heaven for about half an hour. When I first read that verse, I'm like, silence in heaven for half an hour? I thought there's no time in heaven. Well, there's a half an hour of silence in heaven. So there's a lot of other verses, especially in Revelation, that point to the same thing. I was referring to in chapter 6 of Revelation, when Jesus breaks the fifth seal... And look at chapter 6, verse 9. It says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, it says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony which had been maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on earth? Verse 11, And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of the fellow servants and their brethren who were being killed, even as they had been, would be completed. So, what happens here is you see references to time again. They're asking how much longer. And they're seeing, what's amazing, they're seeing or they know, have an understanding of what's going on on earth. Now I submit to you, I probably they're not seeing every minute and every detail of what's going on on earth. 
It's more like probably what we get in the evening news, right? Where you get the, the news from Iraq, what's going on over there, the news from Israel. They're probably getting an understanding of what's going on on earth. Just like we wouldn't probably want to see all that's going on in Iraq. And they probably don't want to sit and watch everything that's going on earth right there in heaven. I mean, I wouldn't want to be watching what's going on earth. But they have an understanding of what's going on in heaven. And they're talking and reasoning with God and saying, how much longer? So they're obviously waiting. And God himself says, just wait a little longer until the number of those who are persecuted and martyred come to completion. There's another reference of time. Many of you are probably saying, now, oh, wow, this is, blows away some of my misconceptions and kind of blew my bubble. I had my own vision of heaven. But I just submit to you that we can't have our own vision of heaven based on our own thoughts and what we get from culture. We have to go to God's word for what he says about heaven. And I'm just scratching the surface, guys. There are so many more verses about heaven to talk about. You may ask, well, why did you want to talk about the present heaven now before 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Well, I think we need to understand the first heaven because when we get to that perfect place, when we get to our resurrected body, that is what we are longing for. When we get to heaven, all the events on earth and all the events in, in heaven will long for that day when Jesus will come down and he will bring us into Unity with our resurrected bodies. So that's what we're looking towards towards next week. So I hope uh, what I've painted to you today is, is kind of the, the present heaven, and really heaven itself is just multifaceted. There's so many layers to heaven. There's so many things to heaven from God's Word. And it's so many scriptures that I can't really go into today, but just paint a picture of what heaven will be like. But I want to end today with the most important thing about the present heaven, and is that we will be with God in the present heaven. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he says to the man on the cross, the criminal on the cross next to him, for today I will be with you in paradise. And we know from the other scripture that Paul is saying that if he leaves this earth, when he left the earth, he would go into the presence of God. He would be with the Lord directly. I want to submit that question to you is, is, are you ready today to be in the presence of the Lord? Are you ready today to see your maker's face, to stand in his amazing grace? You know, this world is, is full of troubles. And it's Satan's greatest lie is to just make us think about this earth all the time to to worry about the things of this earth and to worry about our job and worry about finances and our relationships with our spouse and our kids and we get so bogged down in the things of this earth every day but i love what jesus has to say in john chapter 14 the beginning of the chapter he says do not let your heart be troubled believe in god believe also in me for in my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. See, this is a note of encouragement from the Lord. He wants us to be encouraged. To not let the world bog us down. To be troubled by the things of the world. So at any time you feel yourself being entangled in sin and in your mind to go places where it shouldn't go, change that. 
Change that thinking from the things of this world that offer us small pleasures, the earthly, fleshly pleasures, and cast our mind upon heaven. Paul said, set your mind on things above. Jesus continually was reminding him to think of heaven, and he was bringing things to mind from this earth to help us relate to what heaven will be like. I would just hope that we would cultivate a heart for heaven, to be in the presence of the Lord, and to yearn for the resurrection in our bodies when our spirit will become with a resurrected body. And I know that's easy for many people with disabilities, that they obviously yearn for that because this earth, they know, they know it deep down inside, it just doesn't add up. It's just not the fulfillment that they know deep in their heart that only God can provide to them in heaven. And I love a quote by D.L. Moody. He said, People will tell you that I have died and don't believe him for a second. For I am more alive than ever. The older I get, the more I yearn for heaven. The older I get and get out of bed and feel the groans of this body, I yearn to be in heaven with God. I want to end with with us thinking about heaven because I know in our lives we spend too much of our time worried about the things of this world. So I'm going to play a song, and I want us just all just to meditate on heaven and and what it's going to be like to see our Maker's face and to be enveloped in His peace and His joy and His grace. When I get where I'm going On the far side of the sky The first thing that I'm gonna do Is spread my wings and fly I'm gonna land beside a lion And run my fingers through his mane Where I might find out what it's like To ride a drop of rain Yeah, when I get where I'm going There'll be only happy tears I will shed the sins and struggles I have carried all these years And I'll leave my heart wide open I will love and have no fear Yeah, when I get where I'm going Don't cry for me down here Gonna walk with my granddaddy And he'll match me step for step And I'll tell him how I've missed him Every minute since he left And then I'll hug his neck Yeah, when I get where I'm going There'll be only happy tears
And I see my maker's face I'll stand forever in the light Of his amazing grace Thank you so much for heaven. That for those of us that know people that have gone from this world, to be assured that they are in a wonderful place, and to be assured that we will be with them someday. And Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for the gift of heaven. Now we can even experience heaven on earth if we put our faith in you. That you have sent down the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And that we can draw near to you every day. Even in this flesh suit. Because of your spirit. So Lord, let us get glimpses of heaven every day. As we draw near to you. As we... As we draw into your presence through worship, through time in your word, and through time with one another, that we may know the, the power of heaven and the power of your spirit in our life. And Lord, for those that are here that don't know you, Lord, I just pray that they would be motivated by heaven. That there's only one guarantee to getting there, and that is through you, Lord. So I pray that those that don't know you would put their faith and they put their trust in you and you alone. So they would have that guarantee of seeing you face to face, of living with you for all eternity. And Lord, thank you for all the amazing things in heaven that it is so deep and so rich. And I think we are just scratching the surface of what it's like in heaven. And so as we go into these next three weeks, I pray that you would give us a glimpse of what heaven is like that we'd be encouraged, that we would be comforted, and that we would be motivated by heaven to live heavenly, to look towards the heavens all the time, to not be bogged down by the troubles of this world, to not be overtaken by sin. Because, Lord, you want us to be free. You want us to be more alive than ever. And we can experience heaven by just being in your presence we can experience parts and pieces of it right now because of who you are and what you've done for us Lord I thank you for this day pray that you'd shine your face upon us and that we would just keep our minds focused upon you 
your name. Amen.